All right, so Star Trek. It is the 50th anniversary. Star Trek has officially been around for 50 years, five decades. That would be what Star the Trek. 50th anniversary means. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, God, so you're 50 such years. a jerk. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> Matt, not keeping with the Star Trek spirit right now, actually, with the Star Trek attitude. I'm in the Kelvin timeline. There's more conflict. Deal with it. Kelvinist. You, you, you Kelvinist. <laughs> I'm a Kelvinist. I love, I, love, I love you coining that phrase, JP. I love it. <laughs> Kelvinist predetermination. Hey, hey, the timeline surely shows that there's a predestination paradox. You almost got (laughs) me again. I almost did it again. You guys are trying to get me in trouble. I almost made a comment. (laughs) We're moving on. Keep going. Well, um, so, guys, I don't even know where to start with Star Trek. There is so much. It's the most dense franchise in our our, our pop culture lexicon. It's true. Uh, So I am going to ask... Uh, because Father Fun, because you are our guest, I will ask you first. Um, what do you love the most about Star Trek? I think it's I think it's the I would not be remiss in recalling a very common um, um, positive co- comment about it, and that is that it's brains over brawn. You think so? Yeah, even in even in the original series where it ultimately ends up being quite a bit of brawn, um, what what Gene Roddenberry's vision was was that we were going to be better and that we weren't going to let fear, um, even of our own destruction, kind of bring us to a place where we won't think our way through things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, growing up, that was always that's just a nice a nice thing to hear. I think especially in a hyper-masculinized society to see that play out week to week um, or binge to binge um, is always, is always good. It's always a good message and it's, it's timeless. Cool. Uh, Father Chuck, I would like to ask you, uh, what do you love the most about Star Trek? Um, I think J.J. Abrams said in an interview for Star Trek 2009 um, that the thing about Star Trek that he loved is that it's it's our future. It's not, you know, it's 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 not just sort of like a abstract concept of the future, but it's actually like created with an eye to this is where we could be heading if we wanted it. Um, and so, with that in mind, I mean, I can imagine no other no other fictional universe franchise that I want to be real more than Star Trek. Um, the idea that we can, as, as Patrick said, you know, brain over brawn, that we can overcome our limitations and our foibles and to unite as a species to have a common goal where we look past things such as um, trying to gain money, power, and influence over top of each other, that we, you know, that the idea of exploring and furthering ourselves and our horizons is the, is the chief goal. And so we just move past these petty types of things that we're stuck with. Um, and the idea of meeting species and that are very different than us and exploring this vast, um, this vast unexplored realm and all of that. That, that, that to me is the thing about Star Trek that I love more than anything is that in a weird way, it feels with all the silly people with stuff glued to their face, it feels like an extremely grounded, Reality that could be a that could be positive for us and potential for us and um, and I just really really want it to happen. 
So I think that's the thing about Star Trek is it just it gives me it gives me hope and optimism um, that this is what we we could be if we really tried. Hmm. Uh, very heartfelt answers, and I'm really digging them. And I'm going to ask Matt, um, what do you think about Tribbles, man? <laughs> what is the trouble with them, really? I'm leaving. Right now. I'm just gone. No, I, I'm of course I'm just kidding, Matt. What do you love the most about Star Trek? Uh, Chuck stole my word right at the end of it. Is hope was would say would be what I say I love the most. As an adult, I would pretty much say um, the same thing as Chuck. He he worded it so well. I'll just copy that. Okay. Um, as a child growing up, it was a more personal level of the same thing. Um, as a kid, what I loved about Star Trek was the idea that I can be a hero, that anybody could be a hero, that if we're just true to ourselves and stand for what is right, we could be a hero. Um, that, to me, when I was little, is what Star Trek really stood out as, because if anybody knows me personally, I was never the guy who um, was like the, the alpha dog in any way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. Um, but Star Trek was the idea that all of us have the potential inside of us of being the hero, the leader, the one who saves the day, the one that brings everybody together if we just stand up for what we know to be right rather than getting caught up in selfishness and stuff like that. And although as a kid I wouldn't have been able to word it that well, that's what I loved as a kid. And then as an adult, it's that idea that 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 there's a that humanity could achieve that if we just got past our our petty differences that cause us to fight or our made-up differences that cause us to, to argue and fight and just realize that we're all on this journey together and we are going to go there together. And if we did that, we could achieve the Star Trek kind of universe. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the more fascinating things about star trek that i learned yeah and tribbles they it's just that you can't put them anywhere because they're just annoying and they keep popping up everywhere you go the the trouble with tribbles is stepping on them all the time and the annoying noises that they make if a tribble and a mogwai got into a fight who would win oh mogwai come on you sound like a klingon come on the klingons hate tribbles okay whatever (laughs) they're just so cute Uh, I had um, one. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, uh, um, one of the things I love the most about Star Trek, and uh, something I discovered, you know, and 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 researching it all those years ago, trying to kind of get into it, was sort of the basis of the mythology of it was that in order for humanity um, to get to the place where it was, where it ultimately got to like the Federation and these starships going around aliens making contact, blah, blah, blah. Is like humanity had to go through uh, like a horrible nuclear war first and like almost be annihilated. Mm-hmm. The great right? horror. Right. Okay. And then the way that you got the ball rolling was that out of all of that, there's Zephyrin Cochran who fashions a ship out of a nuke, right? Yes. And discovers warp drive. I like this idea that in order for us to advance, um, we had to innovate something, and then something had to kind of like reach out to us in a time of like really more desperate than desperate, where like the the planet is like in horrible chaos. 
So it's like you had to kind of rise out of the ashes first. So it's like it's almost like the earth was saved mm-hmm. by, you know, starting this whole mythology. I, I really something about that really resonates with me. So is that and why you're voting for Trump? So that we can pro- get into the what's going to happen. No, that's why I'm voting for Jill Stein. <laughs> we're, we're topical here. We're topical. <laughs> Ooh, um, <laughs> so know, that, that resonates with me, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering. You know, Star Trek is so is such a scientifically driven show. Um, from a lot of commentators that I've heard of, and I'm not even really sure, does religion have a have a, a place within its mythology? Like, is, is does religion or theology? I mean, are there any Christians in Star Trek? Are there any Buddhists, Muslims, Hindu? Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> Seriously, I'm just, I'm just I'm I'm just curious because I'm actually not that knowledgeable in that area in terms of religion in Star Trek. I always thought I always viewed Star Trek as a world without religion, but am I wrong in that? So the humans, the humans are depicted as being sort of post-religious. Um, the Federation itself, um, it's it is extremely secular in the sense that um, they they will permit religious conviction and belief so long as you're willing to put it aside for the values that the Federation espouses. Now okay. Roddenberry believed that we would have evolved past religion, mm-hmm. um, and he actually went to some great lengths to try to indicate that what we called religion was probably based in some form of like space thing. I mean, that whole episode who mourns for Adonis, right? Is that the one where they find the Greek gods, um, mm-hmm. where they find that the Greek gods are actually aliens. That's sort of a thing that season two, episode two, ironically, the one I'm currently on. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, um, that's where the green hand, that's a little uh-huh, thing. The green in hand. Um, and, uh, it's in Star Trek beyond. I, um, but the, um, well, Deep Space Nine really deals with this question more than any other of the franchises, um, right. because you have the Bajorans who worship these things called the prophets, which are these um, non-corporeal beings that live within this wormhole that connects the Alpha Quadrant to the Gamma Quadrant, and um, that wormhole is called the Celestial Temple within their within the Bajoran religious worldview. But the Federation, of course, sees them as an alien species. It just happens to inhabit this thing. And so one of the recurring themes throughout the move, without, throughout the show is how to deal with this religious aspect within their – because the Federation is trying to they're, – they're hopefully trying to get the Bojorans into the Federation and all that. And added to that is the character of Sisko, who's the, um, the captain um, um, on DS9. He um, fulfills a prophecy um, where he, is, he becomes a character known as the Emissary. So he fits within their religious world. And hmm. so because of that, there is regularly tension with him being a religious figure as well as a Starfleet officer and how they deal with that. But what I've seen throughout the show is Starfleet is willing to put up with the, the Klingons having their sort of cultural religious practices, the Vulcans, because they sort of logic seems to fit a religious thing for them, um, the Ferengi, which aren't Federation um, they aren't a Federation world, but um, Ferenginar is not a Federation world, but the uh, Ferengi are on um, Deep Space Nine, and they work with them a lot, and so there's some stuff that goes on with their religious belief. Um, and then some of the others, they, they kind of hint at it here and there, but they never really show humans demonstrating religious practices or convictions. The only time that I can think of where they do that is the Doctor on Voyager, who is a hologram, um, within a holodeck program, which is... Um, supposed to be like 1800s Ireland because Voyager is a weird show. Um, the doctor is the village priest. 
Um, hmm. And so the characters go to church and stuff. They mention that. Um, so, of course, it's sort of like a role-play, fictional, fantasy kind of thing. But um, there are a couple of places in Voyager where they deal with some religious stuff here and there with um, Seven of Nine, one of the characters in the show. But anyway, overwhelmingly, um, the Federation does not espouse religion and really kind of sees it as a quaint curiosity that mm-hmm. you're cool if you want to have it, but you need to kind of keep that to yourself. Um, and that really, if anything, and I think Voyager, the show Voyager really demonstrates this better than any others, the, reli- the, the real religion of Starfleet is the Federation and the Charter mm-hmm. and the Prime Directive and all the, and all the principles and stuff that they, that they adhere to. That really makes up a religious practice and religious identity for them. Interesting. By the way, hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. <laughs> <laughs> I am Matthew Wells. I am not your host. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to introduce it because it's a two-parter, so, but... Whatever. <laughs> I'm your I'm, I'm your moderator, JP. Uh, whatever. Father Fun hey. is still here. Chuck. Yeah, Father Fun's here. And I would say Father Fun probably is better versed in all of this stuff than I am. Yes. But yeah, you, I mean, I'm I'm kind of wondering. I, I want to kind of throw it out to to you guys. Um, which which the only the only thing I'll say before you you go to your question is is I would argue that Star Trek is a philosophically driven show more than a ah, than, more than a science driven show, but hmm. carry on. Okay. Go ahead. Um, interesting. Now that you put it that way, uh, but I, I'm wondering and and you know, Star Trek fans that I've met throughout my life, Trekkies, most of them um, were not Christians. Most of them were atheists or agnostic. Um, and you know, I sit before right now, uh, uh, two priests and a deacon who are uh, bigger Star Trek fans than I am. (laughs) I'm three masters of divinity, if you will, who are enormous Star Trek fans. So I'm kind of wondering, do do you, is there anything in Star Trek that appeals to sort of, um, the more spiritual side of you? Does that make any sense? Yeah. Who's going? (laughs) <laughs> I see, I see, I see, Patrick. Well, while Patrick's thinking, I, you know, it's to me. I was introduced to Star Trek through my math teacher at my super Baptist Christian school, and okay. a lot of a lot of the people that I went to church with in my fundamentalist upbringing were Star Trek fans. So it's interesting that it's a show that can bring so many disparate groups of people together. It's um, kind of the purpose of the show, right? Yeah, but considering that the show is, I mean, it's it, it's kind of thesis is that it's an atheist show. I mean, that's that is kind of a, a key element in the background of all oh. of it, um, or at least secular. Yeah, I mean, the the yeah, height, yeah, because yeah. yeah, the height of of everything in the Star Trek universe, not as a species, because I think the show sets out to show that all species have the ability to to be equal, but humanity, as far as our our understanding. Humanity is what seems to be the height of all things in the Star Trek universe. Whenever right. they come up against an all-knowing, all-powerful being, that would be, of course, to us, a god. Um, it's what? ultimately who doesn't need a starship. Yeah, it's ultimately put to shame by humanity. It's ultimately reason outreasoned or outwitted um, by humanity. So humanity is like humanity is like the height of all things in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, and, and, and just because you mentioned that, it's at some points too, almost an annoying fault. I mean, that's my one gripe about Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, is that when they bury Spock, they play Amazing Grace on bagpipes, hmm. and Kirk says that he's never met anyone more human. 
Like, that's kind of an insult to him, mm-hmm. right? I mean, well, he's a he Vulcan, goes, and he prides himself on his Vulcan heritage, and they didn't give him a Vulcan the, burial. It is a running joke throughout the original series, um, I can speak because I've been watching it recently, that any time you refer to him in any way, shape, or form as being close to human, he's like, I don't see the need to insult me. Right. Um, so that's like the run, <laughs> that's the ongoing joke of the show, is he's like, that's a very human response of you. And he's like, well, Captain, I don't see why insulting me would help the situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would actually be a slap in the face to Spock, is to say that was very human. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Father Fun, what are your thoughts? I'm curious. Yeah, I. <clears throat> it's an interesting question because I, I would have to say that it, the Star Trek holds a place for me that's kind of extra, extra religious. Um, maybe after the spirit of the own show, of the show, I, I wouldn't, I would disagree with Charles in his assertion that that they're, that they've, that they that they're conscious that they've moved beyond religion. And that it's a, that that religion is a quaint thing that other species have. Um, I mean, I, I think, think that it's. I think that's actually Roddenberry's thoughts show. on it. Was that? I think that's actually Roddenberry's thoughts on the show. Well, it's definitely Roddenberry's thoughts, but I think that. Um, but but I, but but I don't think that that comes through. I think he's let. It's less obvious that that's what he thinks through the show. Well, this is fair. I think I think we're setting uh-huh. up for a pawn far moment between Kirk and Spock here at the mock time. A fight to the death, if we will. Well, well pawn far is the once every seven years moment when um, Vulcans um, are so overcome by their libido that they like have to fight so they can mate. So are you trying to suggest that Funt and I are going to mate? No, they fought for the death for a mate. So if you're right. fighting with him, you're not. Well, his yes, mate. but that's not get the your, no, no, no. Get your get your fi- get your facts straight. Anyway, I'm going to continue. <laughs> um, I, I think that one of the one of the joys of my Episcopal upbringing was that I was encouraged and allowed to watch a show like Star Trek and not expect religious fulfillment from it. Hmm. And that that was and that was okay. So I don't think, like I don't think we ever like would talk about it and be like, okay, now where was Jesus in that peace treaty or whatever? Like we just didn't. It just wasn't part of the show, and so it wasn't part of our understanding of the show. Um, I did read a book when I was in college called The Religions of Star Trek. Um, that that did kind of look at, or maybe it was called The Theology of Star Trek. I don't remember, but it looked at the what we can learn about kind of, I don't remember what it was exactly, but I remember it looked at a lot of the specific races, the specific species and kind of their religious practices. And it was, you know, it was interesting. I spent a lot of time, like Charles said, talking about Bajor and, and all that. I think it's always, it's an, it's an interesting piece of it, but I never needed it to be religious. And so it wasn't. It's very interesting. Except unto itself. Well, and, and that's something that like for me, um, when it comes to a fictional sci-fi story, I'm like, you don't, you don't need it to be um, commenting on Christianity or spirituality. It's sci-fi in nature. Even if I was arguing that the show was made by a Christian, in nature, it's it's science fiction. Like, do whatever you want with it. It's to be entertaining. What I mm-hmm. what I found compelling about the show now, viewing it as an adult, is it's commentary on humanity to me is something that Christianity and the church could actually learn from. Um, and that's that they, they do a better job of representing seeking out unity and seeking out, um, 
pushing aside all the the nonsense things that get in the way and just living together. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting as an adult to see that this is a show created by somebody who was making it as almost an atheist version of reality and yet comments so well on how we should be living that I feel like sometimes we miss. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, I, I had a thought today. I don't know if I'm a genius or this was done on purpose and everyone's been talking about it for years. Um, pro- probably the, the latter. Uh, but uh, the, the Borg, are they supposed to be like a twisted opposite version of the Federation? Yes. Okay, so I'm not That's that smart. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I just thought about today. Do you guys sometimes see the church, I don't know which church, whatever church, um, acting more like the Borg than like the Federation? I see, I see plenty of Christians who act like the Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this idea of, you know, all you got to do, just accept it. Just accept it. Be like us. Be like us. Homogenizing. Homogenizing, uh-huh. yeah. And like and like the idea of the Borg to me that's always kind of interesting is that their their whole thing is they're just gonna adapt and take what they want from whatever culture, particularly their technology. They're just gonna take it and use it for whatever their purposes are. And like I see a lot of a lot of Christians that do that same kind of thing. It's like, Oh yeah, we can use this. Like this this thing that they, that everybody's into right now, we can use this. Like for example, like Music. Know, well music. <laughs> we'll or, take your song and yeah, well, yeah, change perfect. the lyrics. Yeah. Well, like, we'll, like yeah. yeah, we'll tweak your thing and, like, here you go. Like, this is it. Like, we can use this. Or, like, um, you know, yeah. So that whole idea, I see that totally. And particularly with the idea of non-rational critical thinking, I think that's the thing that makes the Borg different than the Federation, is right. that the Borg doesn't want you to think. You're a drone. That's the whole idea. Um, whereas the Federation wants to use reason and rationality in order to better themselves. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the movie, that's one of the, that's one of the themes of the movie first contact is whether or not the Borg and the Federation are the same thing. And so it's a thing that it's, a, it's, it's, it's the, the, the famous scene in the, in the uh, ready room where, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Cochran's assistant is arguing with Picard, the whole, like the line must be drawn here speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. this far, no far. God. No. Patrick Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Patrick Stewart, ladies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but um, but that um, but that's part of the conversation. There is you know what what makes them different. What makes Picard different from the Borg? That is, that is an incredible movie, isn't it? That draws right back to Lacutus. Thank you for proving my <laughs> point from uh, from our previous episode, part one of this. <laughs> oh man! But so so yes, that's my that's my answer to that. Interesting, interesting. You know, and, and and I think one of the great things about Star Trek is how it espouses unity and individuality, which is a secular trait, I guess. But it's not something I guess the I, I kind of, sometimes I kind of feel like Christians are afraid of that idea. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and well, into 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 qualify a little bit more what I was saying because that's not to say that all Christians haven't always taken things from other peoples that we've encountered and utilized them, mm-hmm. but like. It's one thing to utilize it in such a way that it's very selfish and self right. for you know, and it's another for it to oh. be used as a way to challenge our beliefs. I mean Well it's it's literally the Federation and the Borg. The Federation meets new civiliza- civilizations, learns from them, gains from their technology, they join in unity, usually 
um, wind up taking part of them as a crew member somewhere or leaving somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, they do all this back and forth trade all to better each other's existence. Or the Borg, who steals their technology and what they want from them just to further their own existence. Yeah, like the Federation, like the Federation will change. Like they will adapt. Like they will broaden. Whereas ultimately a Borg becomes a Borg. Like you end up looking the same, acting the same, all of that. But the but the other thing about the Borg too is that they it is interesting an interesting Christianity parallel because the 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 Federation believes that humanity and alien races in general are basically good and that we we get to a point where we've evolved past the need for whatever else. Whereas the Borg believe that you're you're inherently flawed and right. that by joining into this community uh, would that be keep, like totally depraved? <laughs> it would it would but it would also be i think that that's i, I think that apart from calvinism red alert and, so, <laughs> that that's that's orthodox christian classical christian theology is that yeah, it is the sin that was the, the the sin that is within us infects kind of everything that we do and that part of how we are brought to our perfection is through the sacrifice of christ part of how a borg is brought to perfection is through joining of the collective and that it's not about individual gain it's about the gain of the whole collective and that what Borg are trying to do is to reach the ultimate perfection, um, which is done. It's done through this machinistic way for lack of a better word. Um, but that they're seeking, they're seeking ultimate perfection through forced unity, I guess. Right. Yeah. Whereas the Federation makes itself vulnerable and will risk itself in a way that the Borg doesn't. This, this is blowing my mind right now because I just realized, I ju- I'm realizing as you're talking, um, the closest thing in the Star Trek universe, what's the closest thing to God that we ever encounter? Q. Q. Who does also Q, the name of a drug dealer that who, I met once. Who does Q introduce them to? The Borg. The Borg. Could you argue his church? No. Mm. So, like, pushes agenda and stuff? <laughs> no. It, it seems, it, but it seems Q's to me, kind of beyond that. That's, right. But that's what it seems to me is like. And he introduces the Borg, he introduces the Federation to the Borg, or the Enterprise to the Borg right. as a way to motivate them. Yeah. But here, but here's, but here's like my thought process to it. Not that Q in the Star Trek universe, Q, the Borg is his church. But stepping outside of that, looking at it from Star Trek as a art form, as a philosophy. It seems as though our God character is this being that is basically playing around with humanity, messing with them. And then the Borg seems to be like the embodiment, not of him, like we believe the church is the body of Christ, you know, but that it's the church in the Star Trek universe. It's this legalistic mindset that believes that in order to achieve perfection. So I'm not saying that Q and the Borg are together in the Star Trek universe. I'm saying from a storyline point of view, kind of golden compass the story here mm. for a moment. Um, Q is like the god, and the Borg is kind of like religion and the church's influence in the universe. Um, it's just, it's just, it seems, it seems interesting to me that. Yeah that there's this this tie together and i think it somewhat fits obviously star trek has been through so many writers and so many different people involved but with the original idea i mean from day one star trek constantly has them encountering beings who are more powerful all-knowing they can be in many places um arguably there is a q type character in a star trek episode in the original series um 
and always they're inferior to humanity. But the first time we get a concept of kind of a comment toward what the outside world tends to say the church, to me, would be the Borg. That's kind of the first time we get a glimpse of what a lot of times the outside calls us. Legalistic, you have to look like us, act like us, dress like us, talk like us. Um, mm. It just seems like there's a tie there, not with the characters together, but with the ideas together. And that they're introduced at the same time in the arguably very much more philosophically centered Star Trek, which is Next Generation, almost to a fault sometimes because it's kind of boring okay. almost at times because <laughs> it's dealing with those issues so blatantly. Sometimes, just a, thought, just a thought, wondering. Yeah. You know, you know, it's the, the, that kind of leads me to something, um, a thought, Matt, um, Next Generation, uh, argued by many to be more boring than the classic series. Um, but I sometimes think that the... Uh, Sometimes the boringness is sort of entertaining. Um, I watched an episode not too long ago from The Next Generation. It was called, um, oh, I forgot what it's called. But it's the one where uh, the crew encounters a species that can only speak in metaphors. <laughs> yeah. It's called um, Dar- Darmok. It's Darmok. The best, the best episode. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's the best episode? Yeah. I mean, other than All Good Things, it's it's the best episode. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I really like that episode. All good things, more than the more than the inner light. I have inner light's fine. I just don't. I don't think it's the best. I love all tell, good things. Tell me about Darmok though, and I'll tell you why I think Darmok is the best. Okay, it has to do with what I love about Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, it it, it, it is it is it's, it's all about uh, it's about unity. It's about them using their wits to to understand one another. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's Star Trek in action. It's very mm-hmm. true. Have you guys what, seen this episode? What was your point about it, though? Oh, that it's super boring. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, it's so... <laughs> I will tell the story of Darmok real quick. The card gets warped down to... Uh, discovers this this ship. Um, they kind of posture at each other. And then all of a sudden, he gets warped down to this planet. And there is another being there who is speaking to him. And the translator is working. But he cannot understand what he's saying, and it come and 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 he thinks that this guy's trying to fight him, that they need to fight each other because he's gesturing at him with um, this knife and saying, um, "He's got two knives." Yeah, he's got two knives, and he's trying to give one to Picard, and Picard thinks, "No, I'm not going to fight you. I don't even know you. You know, whatever." Um, and he keeps saying, um, "Oh my God, if any of my friends listen to this, they're not going to forgive me." But it's like. Anton and, and Jalad at Tanagra or something. It's like the phrase yeah. that he keeps saying. The walls crumbled or something. Um, the walls fell. walls fell, yes. Yeah. Um, and over the course of the episode, they discover that there's this other thing that they're that's hunting them on the planet. And Picard, through speaking and reasoning things out, understands that this guy is speaking in metaphor and is remembering, is speaking through the history of his people. Mm-hmm. And when he's referencing these two people at Tanagra, he's referencing a battle that happened where they were fighting against each other. They were enemies, but they turned and, and, and united with each other and fought off a greater threat. And that that's what they need to, then that that's what this other alien is trying to make him do. And um, and he re- he recites the uh, the epic of Gilgamesh to the 
the alien. Right. Yeah, they, so they start telling each other stories, right? And they end up triumphing over this beast and everybody's peaceful and everything like that. I love that episode because it is it is the I think it is the quintessential Picardian understanding of what the Federation is about and what it means to be a captain. And it, it's mm-hmm. what really sets him apart from somebody like Kirk who would take the knife and say, oh, you want to fight? Let's fight. Um, All right. Well, interesting. Uh, maybe a gross overgeneralization, but um, it, it, it shows Picard thinking through and, and doing what it is that makes him so good at being a captain, which is to be methodical and yeah. um, rational. Right. Matt, you and I have talked about this a couple of times where there's sort of like a um, sort of a pop culturally accepted characteristic about Kirk that isn't necessarily true because you, you're, you're revisiting the classic series right now. Is is he the, the George W. Bush of Star Trek that people kind of make him out to be or? <laughs> <laughs> Why you got to set me up like that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, that's how David Tennant described him once oh, in an interview. Goodness. Um, no, <laughs> but no, um, rewatching it, I was actually surprised to find out in the original show how far from that he is. And, um, as you're talking about this episode in Next Generation, I couldn't stop thinking about an episode that I'm currently looking for the title of, and that is so depressing because if I told you guys, you'd know exactly what it was right away. Um, but it is the. The one where he's fighting on the planet with the lizard guy. Arena? Mm-hmm. Arena. Is that it? Yeah, Arena with, with the horn. Yeah, there you go. See, Arena. I found it as you're talking to me. I could have looked like I knew what I was talking about. But I couldn't stop thinking about the episode of Arena, which is the one that to me was uh, uh, very close to this. He gets mm-hmm. placed on a planet by more powerful beings um, that decide to settle the conflict between the Enterprise and this alien ship by beaming down the captains of both and having them fight it out to the death, and the one that lives will get to leave with his crew, and the one that dies will be destroyed along with his crew. And Kirk in this lizard, horrible costume, lizard alien, um, start fighting in slow motion. Um, Great costume. And it ends with Kirk getting the upper hand and realizing that he won't kill this other being because he they have an understanding. He's like this guy's just trying to do the same thing as they, me. They learn their um, they learn that they both have the, their mothers have the same name. Yeah, Martha, <laughs> <laughs> the, the lizard at the last moment. The, at Wait, the last moment. Kirk's mom's name is <laughs> Cynthia. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> I love that you're dissing the movie that you previously <laughs> argued for just, against us. As you're recounting the plot, I'm like, this is the plot of Batman v Superman. <laughs> but, but no, what, what I found out rewatching, I've got to c- compose myself after that one. Um, what I found out Why rewatching it is I was shocked from the beginning of the original series how often throughout the show Kirk is the one who stops, steps back, and thinks the whole situation out and comes to a a peaceful resolution before anybody else does. Because um, I always pictured him as the Han Solo. He's yeah. just charging in, firing guns, shooting first. Um, I pictured him, to use a horrible metaphor, I pictured him shooting first and found out Greedo shot first. Um, <laughs> but it's... I don't know what you're talking about, Matt. 
But no, I going back and watching, I found out Kirk isn't the space cowboy. I remembered him as he's very by the book. He very he's very concerned about his ship and doing what is right for the Federation and his crew, and he is often thinking about the consequences of the actions that are going to occur. What I was shocked to find out is he's much, much, much closer to Picard than I remembered him being. Um, Picard, I would argue, is just written more eloquent about the way he expresses it. There's literally a lot more dialogue of him talking deeply than Kirk. And he is played by a British actor, so, you know, that's... He's amazing. I mean, come on. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, I was shocked to find out that Kirk's character is not what I remembered it being growing up. Rewatching it now, and I rewatched it a few years back. My daughter is just turned five, so I rewatched it about five and a half years ago. Um, and the difference between that viewing and this viewing, I realized I had a very wrong idea. And I think that the Kelvin Universe movies really pointed that out, because the new ones really lean into the kind of cowboy well, aspect of it. But again because of his kind of birth under fire in the new one. And that's what I think about the newest movie. He goes back to the original Kirk of Mm -hmm. stopping to think about um, the deeper consequences to everything. Well, he's much more, he's much more the sort of cowboy swashbuckler type in the original series movies. Yeah. The movies, the movies take a bit of a different turn. And I think that he hates Klingons. And I think (laughs) that is what we all remember is the movie Kirk. Um, right. But the series Kirk was a lot closer to Picard than I oh, yeah. ever remembered him being until I viewed it again more recently. I mean, I, I think he's more closer to, to um, Riker than Picard. And a but. great example of that is to literally watch the episode from the original series about Khan versus the movie yeah. about Khan to see the difference mm-hmm. in Kirk um, over time. Hmm, interesting. Very cool. It's uh, a, that, that makes him. He's become what? You He's become up. a father in the movies, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what uh, that's what happens is his, is is when the Klingons kill it, kill his family, and right? Shatters yes. the thing for him, son. Yeah. So, uh, guys, who who are your favorite captains? I'm an unapologetic Picardian for every reason I've previously articulated, but also because it's it's the that's the show I started on and watched with my dad and. Mm-hmm. Like it just it just means that, that that's what Star Trek is to me, and everything else, even even the stuff before, was an iteration of that. Right. Yeah. I I would have to answer the same. Picard is the one I grew up with and loved um, watching it with my dad, going to conventions. Um, but it's an unfair question to ask right now because I'm currently in the middle of the original series. It makes me want to go Kirk all the way. Um, but no, I would have to say Picard because I, that's that's just it was always he was Star Trek to me. He embodied the ideals of Star Trek. I feel like I feel like at this point Picard is like picking odd job in in um, in Goldeneye. Like he's just like it's sort of a cheat. But wow! Just because you're an Enterprise fan and you're going to go that route, don't argue with us. No, anymore. actually, I think <laughs> if, if we're going to take Picard off the because I think I think I have to agree there. Right, Picard's the best. Um, of the Enterprise captains, but I think if you're gonna take if you're gonna take Picard off the table, um, okay. So second best. That's I, a good question. I would say, I, I, for me, it's 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 actually a tough. It's kind of a toss up between um, Cisco and Janeway for me. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, I Voyager is not a good show. I'm just gonna 
It is not a good show. It has its moments that I enjoy. I mean, I unapologetically love all of Star Trek. There's nothing in Star Trek that I'd say I utterly hate. I like everything that's out there. But I can say that Voyager is not a good show. I still enjoy it. It's not a good show. But um, Janeway, I really, really, really like... I really, really like Janeway um, as a captain. I feel like she she has a really good relationship with her crew. She is very... She demonstrates very good leadership qualities. Um, she is tough. She is tough. Um, I feel like... Whereas Picard is much more of the diplomat kind of character... Janeway is less of a diplomat. I mean, she might be more Kirk-like than Picard, and that might be an, a, an intentional thing because they were trying to kind of treat Voyager as sort of like a revisit of the original series because everything's new and unknown and, and whatnot. But um, well, but I really I like I like Janeway, but I also really like Cisco. I like the I like the way he handles himself in the midst of the Dominion War and the compromises he has to make, and it's kind of cool to see a captain who has to make those kind of compromises and wrestle with those choices, but. Um, yeah, for me, it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up yeah, between those well, two. To hmm. me, it's interesting you're talking, and I'm realizing Janeway um, is a lot like the Kirk in the Kelvin universe, more than the Kirk mm-hmm. in the original. Because like I said, well, I said in the previous episode, Kirk in the original series was all about his ship. Don't mess with my ship. Don't hurt my ship. Um, Kirk in the Kelvin universe is all about his crew. Don't hurt my crew. Don't mess with my crew. And I feel like Janeway was all about her crew. Yeah. Like, she's going to make sure everybody gets home safe. She loves that um, ship, though. And I, so I think she's, she's <laughs> yeah, well, she's so she's a great, she's a perfect mix of the two of them. She is the original and the Kelvin Universe Kirk. In woman the, woman loves coffee, too. That's, she's, just, she's just awesome. Yeah, yeah she's, not, she's, not, she's not tea. No Earl Grey hot. No, yeah. she's, she's coffee all the way. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, I've actually I've only seen a couple of episodes of Voyager, so I'm not that well versed. Oh, oh yeah, I know, I know. Um, well, uh, me personally, I mean, I, I guess I really like Kirk, uh, just because I love how he's portrayed. I love William Shatner, and he's nuts. I love his I love his nuts performance, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, he was the captain that that I grew up with. You know, I didn't I didn't grow up watching. Uh, Next Generation. I grew up watching the Star Trek movies. Yeah. Um, one of my, my my earliest movie memory was I had a nanny who took me to the movies. And she asked me, do you want to see Three Amigos or Star Trek? Um, the, which the, was The Voyage Home. The point of that story is JP had money and had a nanny. Go ahead, carry on. <laughs> no, actually, usually when I tell that story, I'm telling it because I really, I actually, really wanted to see a little shop of uh, horrors. Uh, but we go, but she kept just saying, "No, no, no, Star Trek or Three Amigos," and I was like, "Fine, Star Trek." And it was the Voyage Home, and it kind of scared me a little. <laughs> I don't know, whales freaked me out. Um, but you know, so yeah, cr- and a weird monolith. Thing. Yeah, that, that, yeah, like, the weird mala thing is it's so kind of sounds. Creepy. Oh yeah, with the whale song and the space. I, yeah. I loved the voyage home growing up. I, I was obsessed with it. My parents had it on the little. What are the mini VHS tapes? What were those called? Betamax. Betamax. They had it on a Betamax. Wow. It was the only yeah. movie we owned on a Betamax. If you still have that, I bet it's worth something. And I used to. I do. I actually could give. Could get it tomorrow. Um, cool. It's the only one we had on that, and I loved putting it in and watching it on that little tiny cassette. And I <laughs> yeah. loved that movie. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so, comedy, so I, I, the comedy I, I, in that one. Yeah, so I grew up with Kirk. 
and and so I'm going to be a little bit biased and say that he's my favorite. But I I'm very intrigued. I, I kind of you know because you've been exploring it so much, Chuck uh, Enterprise, and I love Scott Bakula. Oh, he's so good. Uh, I feel like I, I mean I, I want to give Captain Archer a shot. I know? have I have a very soft spot for Archer, and to the point that when they mentioned Admiral Archer's beagle in Star Trek 09, I was like, yes! And then, like, <laughs> anything that they reference in Enterprise and these new, any other things, I'm, like, so excited. Like, I, I was very ecstatic about the Zindi being mentioned in yeah. um, Star Trek Beyond. Um, I love Bakula as a captain. I would love to see more of him. Um, I really wish that that show had not got canceled. I think it really was going to an exciting place when they canceled it. Um, I was kind of hoping that like Scott Bayo or Scott Bayo, gosh, Scott Bakula in um, in old man makeup was going to show up in this somewhere as like Admiral Archer. Like I thought that would have been kind of cool, but um, I, did you hear the Commodore's name? What was the Commodore's name? Commodore Paris was her name. Oh, but she had an accent, so I don't know if she was supposed to be a descendant. But um, that was I, I, I noticed that right. You said a right Paris. Paris, yeah. So like, uh, so an ancestor to Tom Paris from Voyager, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, maybe. I have to admit that that's a hole in my Star Trek knowledge. And when I finish the original series, I think Enterprise has to be next because I, I never saw it. I only saw a couple episodes when it first came out. Um, never actually watched the whole show. So it I have is, to admit that's the hole in my knowledge. Is it is my Enterprise. wife's favorite Star Trek. Um, I have exposed her to every iteration of Star Trek, and her favorite is Enterprise because she loves the character of T'Pol. Um, loves to Paul, but um, JP, as you're talking about Kirk, I, I do want to say one thing about Kirk because I mentioned earlier that he means a lot to me on a personal level, um, mm-hmm. and um, I hope like it's going to sound like I'm getting like super serious, but like so, I did not know my dad growing up, like I never never had a dad, and um, and watching the Star Trek movies on VHS, it like key points in my life. I think in retrospect, sometimes feels like I learned a bit about masculinity from Kirk. Oh, yeah. um, whether or not that makes me messed up or not is up for a psychologist to talk about. But <laughs> there is a lot of of what it means to be a man and a man who is in a leadership role. I picked up from watching Kirk. So I definitely do have, like I said, I have a very soft spot in my heart for the character of Kirk. Like he's the one I grew up with more than... Well, I mean, I, I watched Next Generation was on TV a lot, but something about Kirk I really related to, um, and so, um, so yeah, so just wanted to get that out there too. No, oh, that's great. No, that's awesome. All right, let, let's just leave on this. I want to ask you guys something that's kind of fun, and, and this is a, a request from Father Fun, and I was actually going to ask you this anyway. Uh, what you, what's your favorite uh, alien species? Yeah, favorite alien species. Um, I think I think for entertainment purposes it's the ferengi yes as as expanded in deep space nine um but i think that for the amount of time that is spent on it and the establishment of it um you gotta love the klingons you gotta love the way that across next generation and deep space nine they really flesh out who they are and Mm -hmm. um motivation and you know, Picard kind of becoming an honorary Klingon. And I think, I think they, they obviously are the most popular of the races, but I, yeah, I feel like there could be a killer TV show or movie just about the Klingons. Mm-hmm. It'd be really sweet. Mm-hmm. What about you guys, Matt and Chuck? Am I going? Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I you know when I when, when I think of the alien species, like I, I do enjoy the Klingons. The Ferengi every every Ferengi episode on DS Nine is 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 funny. Um, <laughs> definitely worth your time. But I think all of all the Star Trek that I've watched, the, the alien species that I have the most interest in are the Andorians. Um, yeah. They really deal with them in Enterprise and give them a backstory that I'm very interested in. Um, mm. I really wanted to see some more time spent with them. Um, and so, yeah, so I really, really, really like the Andorians. Um, and, and what's kind of interesting to me about them is they've always been sort of like a fan favorite alien. They've always kind of been in the background. There's they, right. The only time they took the spotlight was in a couple of arcs in Star Trek Enterprise. And so it was really neat to see this sort of fan you know, background yeah. alien actually, you know, get what? built and developed. Was there a regular Andorian character in the animated series from the classic Trek? Oh, I'm, I don't know anything about animated series. I, I, I think there might've been, I think there might've been yeah. the, the, the character that I, that I, that I think of the most, it was a character of Shran. Um, he is, uh, and yeah. Best character in the history of Star Trek. Oh yeah. God, he's so good. Way in. Oh yeah, man. So- it's another DSI cool. character. And he plays a Ferengi, too. Yes. Um, crawl, crawl, something like that. Crawl. You mean Brunt? Brunt, thank you. <laughs> He's very good. Matt? My answers are going to seem like cop-out answers, honestly. <laughs> but my, my honest answers, it depends. You'd have to word the question a little different. It depends on if it's as a conflict or as the species. Because the conflict, I'd have to go with probably the Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, although Cleons are very close second as far as conflict characters. Um, and then I'd have to say one of my favorites are the Vulcans. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. It's kind of like the elves in Lord of the Rings. It's kind of right. along oh, the yeah, same that's lines. A good comparison. Yeah. Um, so it seems like the cop-out, but I'm going to have to go with the Vulcans. I love this idea of they are, although they're all about having their emotions under control, um, I think through Spock, who's half human, but because he is how we explore most of the Vulcan culture, it's really about the conflict within self. Um, and that's just what they are like, literally the, the alien embodiment of is a conflict between you and your inner self. And I'm fascinated to mm. use their expression. I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> um, I find it fascinating. Uh, fascinating. So I'd have to go with the Vulcans. That's a good choice. You know, I think the Vulcans is what sets Star Trek apart so much from other sci-fi shows. And I think it's, um, I think it might be, I think Spock is probably the most, the most relatable character in Star Trek, mostly because of the kind of people Star Trek attracts, at least in the years, you know, before geek was chic when you had your sort of Aspergery friend <laughs> who's really into Star Trek. I just, I knew and, you were going to take it right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm, I'm being real. Like, you know, there, there's the, you know, the, the stereotypical nerd, the guy who, who couldn't socialize with anybody but tried to be super logical, try to figure everything out through logic and knowledge and science. You know, it, I think Spock might be the most relatable character in, in amongst science fiction crowds. Don't you think? Maybe I, I'm 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 tempted to to suggest data. 
Well, uh, yeah. would, well you know, that's a kind argue, of the same spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I would argue that data. <laughs> I would argue that Sorry. data, as much as I love, I just told you Picard would probably be my favorite. Next Generation is what I grew up with. I'd argue data is basically a retread of Spock, except the reverse is he's trying, he's trying oh. to be human. <laughs> he's trying to be human instead of trying to fight it. But I'd argue go. it's just it's the excuse to have the emotionally detached character on the ship. Mm. Data is the best character. Come on, in Star bring Trek. it, bring it on. No, I feel like he is, he is a Spock when they didn't want to keep using Vulcans. Oh. What, are gonna well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? My favorite alien species. <laughs> and we're out. And JP's gonna say Talaxians. Yeah. The what? <laughs> um, I like the Kardashians. Um, Keeping up with the Kardashians. Oh, the Kardashians! Uh, I forgot about that. I don't like what they said to Chloe Grace Moretz, but <laughs> anyway, uh, no, that's such a dad joke, right? Like, <laughs> ironically, no, I, from the only one not a father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, he knows I'm with you. I like, I'm with you, man. I, I love the Vulcans, and and I love, I kind of love exploring their culture through the Zachary Quinto iteration of of, of Spock, and. You know, I don't care what anybody says. Um, I love Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I know that the the saying is that all the odd, all the even number was it the odd number, odd number Star Treks all suck. Star Trek Three is awesome. I think it's awesome, and my, one of my favorite, some of my favorite parts of that movie are the ones that take place in Vulcan. The sets they constructed, the the, the design, so cool. Like I thought, and way cooler than how Vulcan is presented in the in the reboot. I, I mean, it's it's a good movie and stuff, but I kind of feel like they didn't capture the way Leonard Nimoy, of all people, captured it in the third movie. You know, um, so I I, I I dig the Vulcans and their culture. I think is fascinating, and Spock, of course, is such an iconic character, and Leonard Nimoy is a hero. Um, but I'm also a you check. I'm really intrigued by the Andorians because they're goofy look like. I, I want to. I want to take that character seriously. You watch Enterprise. Enterprise. Oh, it deals. Enterprise deals with the, the the Vulcans a lot. Yeah. And it deals with the Andorians. So, there you go. Let's check it out. Cool. Well, okay. that is all the time we have. Can I end on this last last my last statement to see what you guys think of it? Because we okay. have to end on this last thing before you close us out. Star Trek Discovery. It's coming out. Oh yes. Oh my we gosh. Just, I need to. Yeah. We just saw the ship. Oh, you mean right. the, the, the ship that's designed after the um, um, Industrial Light and Magic uh, re- uh, attempt at rebooting the Enterprise? It's uh-huh. a really ugly ship. It's an ugly, ugly ship. I'm oh, really excited ugly. about the show, but it is an ugly-looking ship. I'll just say that I, I am not planning on watching the show. Oh, um, I'm going to watch it. I mean, I want to, but because <laughs> they're putting it on CBS All Access, I'm not going to see it because I will. I refuse to give them the, my money. It's going to release concurrently on Netflix. I just read that the other day. Oh, internationally, not in America. <laughs> we just lost Father Fun. He just left. <laughs> you, are, you, are you gonna? I'm, right? I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I think the ship is ugly, but I think that there's Weird. probably a reason for it. Um, I was reading yeah. a, a something on Reddit that you know it, it could it could possibly be a kind of a hybrid of a warbird and a Federation starship, Without which I kind of like that idea. I watched the Comic-Con panel that was moderated by Brian Fuller, who's the showrunner for the new series. And, you know, on the panel they had William Shatner, Brent Spiner, 
uh, Michael Dorn, Jerry Ryan. Uh, a great panel, by the way. You guys should check it out. The, the full panel is on YouTube. Right. Um, I'm excited for it. What, what guys? What, what do you guys want to see in a future Star Trek? I mean, first of all, I think they got it right by bringing it by bringing it to our homes because I think that's where Star Trek belongs. Yes. Movies are great, but I think Star Trek belongs at our homes. So, what, what do you what do you what are you hoping for for the future of Star Trek? Well, if this is going to be an anthology series, as it's been hinted at, which it might not be anymore, but if it's hinted at that, I would love to see. Um, I want to see Cisco come back. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. for DS Nine. Um, I would. I don't know. I would like. To, I would like to see them pick up some characters, threads a little bit here and there, that hmm. we we lost. But I know that's okay. basically such like a fan thing to like, not pave any new ground and see old things. But <laughs> what do you guys? How about? I'm probably like the most opposite of that. I'm gonna take like the reverse side of the Steve Jobs quote. I'm the audience, and I don't know what I want. Um, I'm hoping that they know. <laughs> I want to see more. And I'm hoping that it just takes the actual Star Trek concept and takes that further. Like, I, I feel like the show grew, as whether you like Voyager and Enterprise or not, the show grew. The stories moved toward more deeper exploration of the concepts of Star Trek. I want to see more of that, and I'm hoping that they surprise me. I'm hoping they create the thing that I don't even expect. Um, I just wish the ship, the, the saucer section, if it was bigger, I feel like it wouldn't look as ugly. That's my only comment. <laughs> <laughs> just the saucer section it's seems like it's like too small. Looks too That's small. That's kind of weird. I'm weird okay with the color. It just looks too, it looks awkward. Big, giant, triangle, yeah. little circle. Uh, yeah. How about you, Father Fun? Um, what, what are you looking forward to? I, I think I fall into the Matt Wells camp. Um, though when, when I'm thinking about the series is we've, we've, we spent a lot of time exploring the Alpha Quadrant. We spent a lot of time in the Delta Quadrant and the Gamma Quadrant, but we haven't really explored. I mean, we know that the Beta Quadrant is part of the Federation. It's 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 known space, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I don't know anything. I think maybe no. I, I I don't know much about the Beta Quadrant, and so I think there's an opportunity there to to do some exploration there. Cool. Um, but I also don't need. I I just I like Brian Fuller a lot. I mean, I thought that that. Um, um, Hannibal was incredible TV, and um, and I, and so I don't. I hope he doesn't do that, but I, I hope he doesn't think it different. But yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I he, yeah, he's. Uh, I think I think it's a good hands. I mean, if you look at the the roster for the writers, it's like a who's who. You know, you Brian Fuller, who's has experience writing for Star Trek on Voyager, Hannibal, Pushing Daisies, great showrunner. Already, already proven great showrunner, and then under him you have people like uh, the the guy that directed Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country is also one of the writers. Like that's that's yeah. great, and I think even is it Adam Nimoy. I think I, is also working on it. I think you might no, be no, right. No, not, no. not not Adam Nimoy. No, Rob Rob, uh, Rob Roddenberry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a good hands. I think it's going to be good. I mean, just the, the whole CBS access thing kind of sucks, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope the thing about Star Trek, and this I think is a fair criticism people make about the about the Star Trek franchise, is that as great as Next Generation and Voyager, well, okay, so as great as Next Generation is, and as many people as maybe watch Voyager or whatever, um, those shows were all riffs on what the original series was doing. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with Enterprise, really. It's 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 a riff on what the original series is doing. Deep Space Nine is really original territory for the Star Trek franchise. It pushed right. it pushed the concepts of what Star Trek is to a whole new direction. It really, really did a lot um, with that, um, and so I would love to see them do something similar. And it's not just another 
oh, let's fly around and encounter space anomalies and right. weird uh-huh. and weird planets. Like and let's let's deal with some like some challenging human stories. But the fact they're making it serial, I think, will really help yeah. in that regard because that's that's the best stories in Deep Space Nine were serial. And I would suggest that the aesthetic from just Enterprise. that little clip we saw of the ship, the aesthetic looks more to me like Deep Space Nine and the yeah. other Star Treks. Which is why the brown the brown ship made sense. It has more of that look to it. Yeah. And they've already, they, like they said, they they've they said it won't be episodic. Have so, they? Yeah. Have they? Have they established? Have they established like where it fits in the timeline? Because I've heard a rumor that it's between original series and next generation. Is that been a confirmed? That's the rumor I've heard. They haven't told us anything nothing, yet. Nothing has been confirmed yet, other than we saw the ship. Okay. <laughs> the in, yeah. And it's in the prime timeline. Right. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we have a lot to look, look forward to. I think it's going to be great. I think the future of Star Trek uh, is in good hands. Yes. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, so that's all the time we have today. I wish we had more time. There is so much more that we didn't cover that I think we could have covered. But you know what? Uh, like Star Trek, life goes on. We'll, well definitely circle back again. Well, well maybe, maybe, maybe we need a spinoff podcast. To Perhaps talk a about spin-off? these things. A spinoff podcast, Chuck. Let us know if you want it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I want it. Is that enough to warrant? We, we may have kind of tried to start it and uh, only got half of it recorded. <laughs> One of our few lost episodes. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Again, it's always a pleasure. Yes. Um, I want everybody. I want to challenge everybody to uh, go rewatch Undiscovered Country. I I think it may be the best movie. Yes, I love uh, that. I would agree yeah, with you I, without watching it again. I totally agree. It with is you. incredible. I, I, what I'm just saying, I'm going to rewatch it because okay. I love it so much. And I haven't seen it in a long time, and the, the there was even there was a Shakespeare quote in the um, and beyond that made me think about all the Shakespeare that is in that movie, and I, it's, it's awesome. Talk cool. about. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Father Funner. We love having you, buddy. Uh, Father Chuck, Matt Wells, thank you as well. Yes. Uh, and uh, tune in next week as we discuss, um, I don't know, Mussolini or something. What, do you guys want to talk about the Axis powers during World War II? <laughs> I don't know. We could just play a game of, al- of Axis and Allies while talking. <laughs> Sure, sure. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Live long and prosper. Make it so. You did it. Engage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Never give up, never surrender. Never give up, never surrender. Yeah, there's a whole other episode on that. (laughs) See you guys. See you. See you. Bye.